Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show that focuses on people and organizations making a big difference in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan, and joining us right now is Dr. Carly Namdar. She's the director of the National Teacher Support Helpline, confidentially providing educators and administrators support and tools they need to take care of themselves and their students, especially in these times of mental wellness. How are you doing, Dr. Namdar? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Can I call you Carly? Sure. All right. Well, first of all, I'm so glad you started this hotline because this helpline is very, very important. I've talked to a lot of educators, especially during the pandemic and since on this side of the pandemic, about a lot of the stresses that they've had to go through, especially dealing with with students who are doing some virtual learning and also coming back and feeling isolated. Can you talk about uh, some of the reasons why the the helpline was was created? Sure, I'd love to. Um, In the wake of the pandemic, um, and I think, you know, really this was starting well before the pandemic, we really, really came to realize how much educators have really been on the front line Mm -hmm. supporting their students. You know, when the pandemic hit, um, teachers had to pivot quicker than most people and just figure things out. They had to be there for their students day in, day out. um, And they just needed the support. And I think that they really just, um, needed to reach out. They often didn't have the support sure. that they needed as mm-hmm. they were going through, you know, the pivoting that needed to happen. And I think it took a toll on their own mental health and wellness. You know, I think we're seeing it now more than ever that teachers are really almost like deputy mental health professionals. They have to be there on the front lines for their students. You know, they're there through times of calm, they're there through times of chaos, they're there through times of crisis, and they need our support. And I think that this helpline has really created a means for them to be able to reach out for themselves for the support they need, as well as for the support they're facing in their classrooms today. You know, they, I've always called them like some of the real heroes, just like first responders, just like the doctors, just like anyone who is in the breach, especially when it comes to kids 
And Gen Z is a completely different kind of group of, of students and, and young adults. These kids nowadays, because they have so much access to information, and sometimes the information is misinformation, and the first people they want to ask questions to are their teachers. It's not necessarily their families. And then, like you just mentioned, sometimes teachers are caught in the middle. Right. And I think we also need to realize that sometimes teachers spend more waking hours with children than their parents do. Yeah. You know, in today's today's climate, of a lot of homes have both parents working or, you know, single family homes or, you know, everybody comes from a different family background. Teachers really are such a fundamental presence in a child's life. And, you know, when we talk to to people down the line, whether it's in, in therapy or, you know, in the work that we're doing, so many people can look back in their lives and they can point to one educator or one counselor or some person that impacted their lives down the line when they were back in school. Exactly. And again, a lot of kids, they, when the pandemic hit, they didn't know all the information. They just knew that they can't go back to school. They didn't know when they were going to go back to school. They knew that there was virtual learning. They didn't know if that was going to be the new paradigm, if that was the way it was going to be forever. They didn't know if they were going to be able to physically interact with their friends anymore. There was a lot of things that they didn't know and they had to cope. So the teachers also had to cope because they had to gather as much information as they could and explain it to kids as educators and explain it to kids as, as like you said, confidants. It it was a, it was a lot to put on educators. But I think the pandemic was really unique in the fact that, uh, you know, we call it a, a shared traumatic reality. There are psychologists that that's how they're referring to the time period of the pandemic, because, you know, sometimes when a trauma occurs, you know, there's a person that's impacted and you as the helper may not have been the person that actually experienced that trauma. But in the case of the pandemic, we were all living through everything together. I mean, I remember I was giving a presentation on um, navigating anxiety and mm-hmm. and fielding hope in the time of the pandemic. And all you could hear in the background were the sirens, of the ambulances that were outside my window. And to the point where I had someone texting me to say, you know, can you do something about that noise in the background? It's, it, it was a crazy time. And we all just put on a brave face and we did what we could, right. you know, many of us were as real as we could possibly be, but things like that take a toll on people. And if it didn't take a toll on us as we were in the moment, sometimes it can ebb away at us, you know, down the line. And I think that that's what may be contributing to some of the, the exhaustion and some of the burnout that educators may be experiencing today. I will say though, that I think we're in a really unique moment at this point in time. I think that the importance of mental health and well-being, mm-hmm. the importance of promoting resilience, not just for ourselves, but for the children that we work with as educators or in the education world, I think there's never been a time where people are more open to having those conversations. Exactly. I think it's, it's no longer the big stigma. It used to be, okay, mental wellness, I'm not sure, I don't want to talk about 
somebody in my family that might not be feeling well. They're, they're seeming like they're not themselves. And now it's like, okay, this is important. Mental wellness is just as important as physical wellness and physical health. And I think that's what makes it a lot easier. And we're talking again with Dr. Carly Namdar. She is uh, the director of, let me make sure I pronounce this correct. Is it OHELS, Teacher Support Helpline? OHEL. OHEL's Teacher so, Support Helpline. Yes, yes. Oh, we, we have a teacher support helpline that provides support for educators for whether it's challenges that relate to their own personal well-being or challenges that they're facing in the classroom or with the students that they're working with. We're also open for uh, youth support professionals who work with youth. We actually were open over the summer for camps. Mm -hmm. So we were able to really support a lot of uh, camp staff in working, in facing, you know, the challenges that they were facing in the work that they were doing in the summer, as well as some of the campers that they were working with. Uh, In addition to the helpline services that we provide, uh, we also have monthly webinars in support of educator well-being. So, and they're actually posted on our website. You can look at them under ohelfamily.org, take a look at our webinar recordings and, you know, take a look for yourself. That is ohelfamily.org. And the uh, teacher support helpline is 718-686-3230. We're going to mention this, this, this number over and over again throughout this conversation. And by the way, I cannot thank you enough for being with us because again, educators are they're kind of caught in the middle because so many students look up to them, especially looking for information. And as you said, the educators, they know they're book smart, but now they have to be medical smart as well. Can you talk about some of those issues? So I think, uh, like I said before, you know, we really uh, are in a position now where we are elevating the role of teachers um, in the challenges that they're facing for themselves and mm-hmm. the challenges that they're facing in their classrooms. Um, children, really, the coping of children and the well-being of children is really tied to the adults around them. So children are watching us all the time, yes. right? They're watching yes. our... It's not just what we say to them. It's our tone of voice. It's our body language. Mm-hmm. It's the, the facial expressions that we have. So when teachers can serve as models of, you know, regulating their emotions, keeping themselves um, in check, uh, you know, being mindful, and uh, really can create a calming and a healing presence in the classroom, that's what we call co-regulating. They help children regulate their own emotions, and they really create a really positive and wonderful climate in the classrooms um, where they're teaching. And we've actually pivoted. I'm part of OHELP National Trauma Center, and we're actually doing a lot of work at the moment in the field of building resilience for educators themselves okay. in order to help, to help students build their own resilience. And we're, we're doing this shift. We've made this shift because... We're realizing more and more that this is all a parallel process, right? Mm -hmm. We need to build educator resilience in order to be able to impact the resilience in the the schools. Exactly. The school communities. Yeah. 
educators live in. Yeah, you, you mentioned this before. There's a lot of teachers and educators who feel so much stress because they have to they have to have a, a certain, I'm not going to call it a mask, but they have to have a certain strength in front of the students. It's, it's, like, it's kind of like with athletes, they look up to their coaches. Well, students look up to their teachers, and the teachers have to have a sense of, well, okay, what I'm saying is the correct information to pass along to you. Well, that's very, very tough in these times, especially I mentioned, you know, the pandemic information, but let alone, like I said, that with the mental wellness issues going on with a lot of teenagers, especially a lot of them, you know, some of them so sad they may attempt suicide and some of them have committed suicide. And that's tough on educators as well. They they don't want to detach from the kids because they've they've grown to love them or, or they've grown to to want to, them to succeed. And so that takes a toll. And, and you mentioned some of the numbers of the of the teachers that say, you know what, this stress is just too too much for me, and I have to quit and and and, and choose a different field. Can you talk about some of those issues? Yeah, I think you know people people went through what they went through the last few years, and you know there's a famous quote. There's a, a wonderful book called Man's Search for Meaning by Dr. Viktor Frankl. It's one of my favorite books of all time, and Um, one of the quotes that I love is, you know, when we're no longer able to change a situation, we're challenged to change ourselves. Mm -hmm. So the people really went through this experience of living through the pandemic. And many people, you know, really, really reexamined, you know, what they were doing in life, what their meaning was, what their purpose was. Some people um, made shifts in terms of, you know, looking for, um, meaning in other places and decided that, you know, they wanted to make a shift in their life. Mm-hmm. Other people really connected more to their to their values and their meaning. I think, you know, after living through the last few years, we've all kind of taken a step back and said, hey, you know, the world is no longer what we thought it was. Um, and we've really reexamined where each of us are. That's just my perspective. Yeah, that's But true. many, many, yeah, I mean, many each to their own, you know, I don't think any of us are in a position to judge, you know, why people have made the decisions that they've made. But yes, there are many, excuse me, there are many people that perhaps did not have the support they needed in their environment, and they have sought other work um, for themselves that perhaps would give them more flexibility or more options or or, more fulfillment, you know. Or more fulfillment, exactly. You know, it's, it's um, kind of like the workplace. You know, we mentioned some people were working at home, forced to work at home, but then there were others who actually embraced it and decided, you know what, if I can't work in an environment where I can work at home and then go to the office maybe two or three times a week, I would rather not work at this particular company. And so they've made that pivot. And then there are others who are like, oh, I could not stand working at home. I'm a people person. I need to be in the office. And they couldn't wait to get back to an environment where they're mixing and mingling with people and and coworkers. So like you said, everybody had different choices and they found that they had the flexibility to make those choices. Right, right, right. And maybe perhaps people who may not have had that flexibility now had found that that's what they wanted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think... I think people have made a lot of decisions over the last few years, just based on their experiences. And I really, I think people are really motivated by this search for meaning, by Mm -hmm. this search for purpose. 
And I will say that, you know, I've been in the world of education for a number of years, um, you know, in different schools. I've, I've been a school psychologist in, uh, in different schools, and I've been involved in social-emotional learning. I've also uh, worked in the camp space in a mental health capacity. Um, there's nothing more fulfilling than knowing that you're able to impact the life of someone else, yes. whether it's right. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's really something very, um, noble. And I think that, you know, changing the conversation around how we talk about teachers and how we treat teachers and how we elevate the role and the, what, the, the impact that educators have in today's world, I think that there's a real need to take a look at that. I think you're right. And we're talking again with Dr. Carly Namdar. She is an educational psychologist, and she is the director of the National Teachers Support Helpline. And that number again for those who want to get in touch and reach out if you're an educator or an administrator, 718 718- 686-3230, I think it was a, a brilliant idea to have this because, as you mentioned, educators don't do this for the money. They've never been properly paid as far as the value they bring to society, so they don't do it for the money. They do it because they sense a, a feeling of fulfillment when they help educate kids or they change kids' lives for the better. With that being said, everybody knows nowadays with Gen Z and younger, the kids nowadays, they're, they, they're just, they were born into social media, born into the Internet, born into uh, um, mass communication. Also, there are teachers who are younger. They're teachers in their 20s, teachers in their 30s. Can you talk about the different pressures or the different things that teachers who have to, who are a part of social media and the things that they have to deal with as well and how that might impact their lives and how they educate? Yeah, great question. Um, I'd love to talk about this. I think that, you know, we're living in a time where you get a lot of instant stuff, right? right? You get a lot of instant gratification when you click on that like Mm -hmm. or when you're checking your likes to see how many people, you know, Follow like you or like you, you the dopamine. You. Yeah. It's a dopamine. The dopamine hit, right? Yes. Like you're getting your and, and you're getting all that stuff so quickly, and I think that it's really hard to have to engage mm-hmm. children and to engage students and to really build that stamina and the you know the patience that it takes sometimes to work through things because we're so used to this culture where we get things really quickly and we get what we want and we tune out to what we're not interested in. So teachers have tough competition when we're looking to get students' attention and to really hold it and to really help them work through things in the classroom. I want to just emphasize that. Um, I want to also what really comes to mind is this idea that children have a world of information, a galaxy of information at their fingertips. Mm -hmm. So they can find anything they want on the internet. And it's really hard for a teacher to compete against that. What I, 
Yeah. What I think is really important is the idea that teachers and the adults in children's lives, we want to really make sure that we're creating those strong connections with them because we want to companion them as -hmm. they're going through whatever they're going through, whatever struggles they're going through, so that they turn to us and we can have ongoing conversations and ongoing communication with them. And it's not just about, let me, you know, dive into my social media to get the comfort that I need. Exactly. In fact, there's so many things that, like you said, kids see online or they have questions about it. And I'm, I'm talking about young kids, but not only them, teenagers as well. And they they turn towards the teacher to either match the information, prove the information to be false or ask more questions because, as we all know, with parents nowadays, some kids, sometimes kids just disconnect from the parents or they just give them just a little bit at a time and they may be more open with other kids around a teacher or an educator. And that's also a challenge as well for the, uh, for the educator. And I, I noticed that on the, uh, the OHEL's Teacher Support Helpline, you got the free confidential anonymous emotional support for teachers and youth support professionals. And you you address the challenges that relate to educators' well-being, the challenges in the classroom, guidance, Mm -hmm. recommendations, and links to professional help as needed. And it's staffed by experienced team of school psychologists and mental health professionals. In other words, this helpline is where teachers can actually open up and talk what's on their mind as opposed to just in the teacher's lounge where they might be judged by other teachers. Right, right. There's nothing more powerful than having a community, you know, having support. There you go. And and connection and relationships. And that's, I think, what's crucial, especially now. Look, we were we were all socially isolated from each other. Let's face it, as as much as we all try to create a sense of connection virtually Mm -hmm. now that we're all back in person, there's nothing more important than really rebuilding those connections and those relationships. And we know that, you know, the more, the more we are socially supported, the more connections that we have to other people, the more this boosts our well-being and the more this boosts our resilience, right? We have people that we can turn to when we're going through challenges. So when we speak about teachers and adults and parents and counselors and youth support professionals being there for students, what we're talking about is recreating those connections, like doubling down and really fostering those connections with the students so that we are people that they can turn to in times of need. And, you know, we can help them through. Often children will experience whatever they're experiencing in life, and they're really good observers, but sometimes they're not as good as, you know, understanding what's really going on Mm -hmm. around them. So the adults in children's lives, and very often teachers are really at the forefront, are able to help guide children, help, you know, companion them through whatever they're going through. And there's nothing better than having that support. Yes, having someone that can relate, someone that can say, I've been through that, or I know what you mean, and guess what, there's other things that you can also do to help solve some of these particular issues. And by, by the way, Dr. Namdar, 
I, I'm just so impressed with you as well. You've been an educational psychologist for over a decade now, and I'm sure you've talked to a lot of different, you know, educators and administrators. And I, I was wondering, especially for you, since I know this is a fulfillment kind of thing with you, what made you decide to pursue this as a career? Because I consider you also a very special person, one of the one of the real heroes, because literally what you're doing helps a lot of people in so many ways. What what made you decide to become uh, an educational psychologist? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I you kind of grew into it, or did you just always <laughs> want to be this? Um, actually, no, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't always sure what I wanted to do. I I actually studied psychology. In uh, I grew up in Melbourne, Australia, very far from here, from New York. Oh, nice. Um, I've been, yes, to, I've been yes. to Sydney, so I haven't, I haven't been to Melbourne, but I have been to Sydney. Okay, beautiful place, right? Yes, it is. In fact, I've always said if I disappear, I have gone to Australia. <laughs> so, you know that book, Alexander and the Horror, No Good, Very Bad Day? I think that's the title of it, you know, about that child that's having a very bad day. Mm-hmm. And then he, all he wants to do is, is, you know, go to Australia, and he thinks that life over there will make everything much better. <laughs> but <laughs> Hang out with the kangaroos. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful place. So I was always pulled to, um, to psychology. I just loved the study of it. Mm-hmm. And um, from a very young age, I was always reading, like I couldn't get my hands on enough books that spoke about people's lived experience with, you know, I actually happened to read a lot of Holocaust literature growing up. Mm-hmm. Um and struggles. And I was really searching for answers as to what were the things that helped people get through the struggles they experienced. And, um, you know, I was always a good student and I really loved uh, studying. I felt very connected to the world of schools. And I think, you know, pulling everything together, I decided to pursue psychology and I uh, wanted to really understand well-being, but also you know, not just study it. I wanted to be able to really make an impact on people's lives. So I think being in the world of education, it really opens you up to uh, helping lots of people within a school community, right? You've got the parents, right. you've got the teachers, mm-hmm. and you've got the children. And, um, you know, it's I haven't looked back since. So. Well, we're so glad you're joining us, and we're also glad that you're a part of the OHEL Children's Home and Family Services and especially with this teachers, this National Teacher Support Helpline. Can you talk about the work you do with OHEL's Children's Home and Family Services and how this kind of led you to this helpline? Sure. So OHEL actually uh, has a long history of being a wonderful social service agency um, that really meets diverse and growing social service needs in the community. Mm -hmm. I'm part of the Zachter National Trauma Center. We actually, we have our agencies based in New York, but we recently opened a national trauma center. So we're able to do work um, nationally now as well. And my field of work within the trauma team is really in the field of uh, resilience building and the educational piece. So I work with a lot of schools in uh, resilience building work and preventative work and really building a sense of trauma sensitivity, which is really uh, relating to 
building an understanding and a sensitivity to those whose lives have been touched by trauma. And at the core of all of our work is building resilience. Mm -hmm. We want to really help people develop the capacity to cope with and navigate the stressors and the difficulties that they're facing um, in order to help on a on a daily basis. What do you say? So, the coping of children is strongly tied to the coping of the adults around them, right? Yes, absolutely. And the kids are paying attention to everything. As you said earlier in the show, you said they pay attention to our tone, the body language, our, even more so than our words, and that helps everyone in the long run. Am I wrong? Right, right. I think that the key to all of this and what we really have seen over the last few years, particularly during the pandemic, is that this work starts with us as the adults, mm-hmm. right? That we have to, you know, build our own resilience, build our own well-being. We have to put our own oxygen masks on first so that we can be the support that we need to be for ourselves and for the people that we serve. Exactly, and especially the children. And I, I mentioned the children because that's what educators do. They raise children when parents aren't around as much. As you mentioned, they may have... Uh, two two career, uh, two parents uh, who are working at, or they might have be a one parent household, or, or the parents are not mature enough to raise their kids, and they just send them off to school, hoping that the teachers can quote unquote help raise them too. That's the world we live in today. Can you talk about the fact that it helps that the schools are equipped to handle all these different things? Because it's not like back in the good old days when parents and grandparents. We go to school and the teachers were like in their 50s and 60s and they were so wise and you didn't disrespect the teachers. You got all kinds of kids nowadays and sometimes the the teachers, or the educators have to look at the children individually and wonder why they are the way they are and help identify if they are at risk, right? Right, right. I think, you know, we, you don't know what children are facing at home. Mm-hmm. You know, we have you have the students in your classroom, but, you know, you can't presume to know what is going on in every single child's home life and, you know, what they bring with them to school the same way that, you know, you could be teaching in a school and you don't necessarily know what is going on for the teachers and for the people in your school building. And I think, you know, breaking down the stigma of mental health, I think... I think emphasizing the idea that seeking help and, and reaching out for support as a sign of strength yes. is really something that is, is really being celebrated at the mm-hmm. moment in the world of education. And if it's not yet then I think schools are in a really good... We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. A place to be able to begin that conversation. I think you're because, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the experience that we've had over the last few years throughout this pandemic has really sensitized all of us to the need to create these warm, inclusive environments where we embrace all of our students you know schools and teachers have this incredible power to make students feel seen to make them feel celebrated and accepted exactly we're talking with dr carly namdar she is the director of ohel's teacher support helpline that number is 718-686-3230-718-686 3230. Dr. Namdar, before I let you go, is there anything else, any more information you want to pass along to our listeners? Because you never know which lives you might, you might actually touch. I just want to say thank you for really having this conversation and allowing us to provide access to resources for educators and for the greater community. So thank you. Yes, ma'am. I think it's so important. Again, uh, ohelfamily.org, that's O-H-E-L, family.org, for even more information on the website. Dr. Nambra, thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And joining us now is Stephen Bolos. He's the founder of Ring of Hope, a nonprofit working to educate, empower, and engage kids through boxing and community service. Leadership, fitness, nutrition, peer mentoring, and sacrifice are some of the core values guiding their programs. Stephen, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for the invitation, Chris. I appreciate it. Oh, yes. Let me tell you something. I've been dying to have you on the show for at least a month or so, primarily because Ring of Hope is such a quality, outstanding organization. I found out about you guys actually through the Dallas Leadership Foundation. Can you talk about that association as well? I can. And actually, Ring of Hope is part of the Dallas Leadership Foundation, nice. which is why they're connected. Uh, to, to give you a quick backdrop, probably 10 years now, Will McCall, who's the president of Dallas Leadership Foundation, him and I were cruising the inner city 10 years or so ago and really trying to brainstorm of a fresh uh, idea of really reaching out to the youth and trying to get them off the street and creating some kind of programs uh, to get them focused on for better education and so on. 
And all of a sudden, you know, Will looked at me and he said, you know, what about boxing? I mean, you come from a boxing background. And I thought, well, I do come from a boxing background and why not? I mean, that sounds like a great idea. So the next 12 to 18 months, we brainstormed and we looked at different locations. And then we have originally eventually found a spot off of 30 in East Grand. And that is uh, where it began. And what year was that? I want to say it was in 2010. Wow. Well, you guys are making an impression. You got about three locations now. Can you talk about those real quick? Well, we have, uh, we have four locations. Oh yeah. The fourth one we had, we had one in our first one. Well, actually let me, uh, just to give you a little picture, Alpine, which is the East Grand and 30 Mm -hmm. in the south of downtown was our first location. Uh, we recently, uh, I'd say recently, probably a year and a half ago, we closed down the ring, the boxing gym, and we converted it. This is Dallas Leadership Foundation, converted it into a training facility to equip the uh, prisoners coming out of uh, the Hutchins Prison off of 80, uh, 45 in south of, down, south of downtown. Right. And creating a, a training facility and a program for them to get back to learn construction and get back into the workforce. Uh, it was such a great location for that, and it wasn't a great location for our gym. Mm-hmm. So then we finally relocated that gym to South 2nd Avenue, which is just down the street from uh, the Fair Park area. I had a chance to go by that gym because uh, I think there's a partnership with the Dallas Mavericks there, and there's a tech center there as well. There's a learning that's center correct. with all the different that laptop correct. computers. That's that's outstanding. I really uh, I love the work that you're doing. And you said there's one more. Isn't there a location in the colony? Well, there was one in the colony. That was our third stop. Mm-hmm. And it was going great, but we, you know, our, our lease was up. And the landlord, unfortunately, not everyone is philanthropic. Right. aren't much for giving back to community. And Understand, so the owners yeah. of that property... Uh, wanted to raise our rent to $6,000 a month. And from a philanthropy standpoint, knowing that all the dollars that go into investing in these community centers, I couldn't justify that. So we finally had to pack up shop and we donated all that equipment just recently, the entire gym full of equipment to a small organization in Houston that is starting an inner city neighborhood boxing gym. And they were desperate for equipment. Oh, perfect. So it was a true blessing for us. That is absolutely perfect. We're talking with Steve Bolos. He's the founder of Ring of Hope. One of the other things I love about Ring of Hope is the philosophy of staying strong, sacrifice, humility, accountability, respect, and patience. Can you talk about how that's intertwined with the athletic performance of these kids? Because I know a lot of kids like to stay healthy physically, but you also want to stay sharp mentally, and you also want to give back. You know, it, our youth, it's, it's, there's such a, uh, it's so vital that we invest into our youth with the right mentorship programs and the right lessons to be taught. You know, I've come from a, we are, we, these aren't spirit filled, uh, religious jo- uh, boxing centers or mm-hmm. community centers, but they are led by spirit filled believers in Jesus. And mm-hmm. so, you know, our, fo- our focus is to inspire and encourage people to live as Jesus lived. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an easy journey, but it's, it, they're hard lessons to learn, you know, teaching young kids how to forgive or 
teaching young kids to not be vengeful when something doesn't go their way or they or they're harmed, whether it be mentally or physically, is really difficult. But it's difficult for all of us. And learning those lessons along with just education on just mental education, mental equipment, and mm-hmm. the, the Mavericks donating the all the technology equipment for us, and the computers and laptops, and the ability for us to really start investing in the youth, but now also to be able to invest in the families as a whole. We're getting ready to roll out uh, credit repair programs for some of the families who who want to own a home. Nice. You know, uh, we want to, we're rolling out, uh, this recently we're starting to prepare for and rolling out a mentor program for the parents for just financial literacy. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of folks that have never had the opportunity to learn the disciplines of finance. And that's so important, especially in this day and age of you can't get anything if you don't have good credit. And you've got to understand what credit is, what it means, how to take care of yourself if you're able to get a credit card and, and like you said, financial literacy. So what was one of the reasons why you decided, well, let's go in that direction as well. Was there a story of where you know the light bulb went off or where you ran into some people and they said, you know what, I just wish I could? Uh, as far as I wish I could uh, roll this, as far as develop the program? Yeah. Well, you know, listen, my whole journey, I'm 65 years old, and my journey has been a life of uh, in, in engaging with folks who have seen my success mm-hmm. and wanting to know how I became successful. And when we sit down and we'd have these conversations, and currently I probably spend time with about five or six men on a regular basis in a mentorship uh, uh, capacity personality. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and it all comes down to doing the work. Yeah. It comes down to first and foremost, to realize that whatever choices, wherever you are in your life, there's a very, very good chance. Now there are, there's small circumstances that are outside this box, but for the most part, everyone can look, if they look in the mirror and answer hard questions of how they got to where they are, they can, they can hopefully will eliminate the frustration of feeling like they're a victim. Right. Oh, oh, poor me, because they don't, it's not an oh, poor me. You made the choice to get where you are. So now if, in, until you're ready to hit the, until you hit the bottom is what I call it. And everybody has a different bottom. It doesn't have to be on the street. You can be all different levels of where you finally say, enough of this life. I want to change my life. And I'm going to commit myself to change, to be better. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we hope these community centers do for the inner city is to educate. We're not, no, these aren't handouts, man. I no. we are, uh, Will McCall and I, we are not handout people. We are right. handout all day long now. It's all about educating us. It's, it's like letting people know that they have the power. They have the power to control their own circumstances. You might fall down, but you can get back up again. Or life is full of twists and turns. When I talk to kids, that's the same thing I I talk to them about. I always talk to them about they have the power. They have the power to make the right choices. And if they make a wrong choice, it's not the end unless they say it's the end. You can learn from those lessons, you know, lessons of hard knocks, so to speak. You know, people... There's words that we use on a regular basis that are that we use in a negative fashion that aren't negative. I just spoke to uh, about 30 men at Hutchins Prison last week mm-hmm. at 7 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, and these 30 men are about to be released in the next 60 days. And it all comes down to uh, 
Gosh, I drew a blank on the word I was going to use. I had, oh, consequence. Consequences. That's right. Consequences for everything you do. Yep. But but people think that, well, you did that wrong, so, you know, dude, you got to pay the consequence. Well, the reality is, is everything you do has a consequence. It's just that those, are they going to be a negative consequence or a positive consequence? That's right. People forget about the positive part of the consequences. Yes. Consequence is not a bad word. Right. It's a a result. Mm -hmm. It's the result of an action. Exactly. And I try to, and you try to instill that in the youth. You try to instill that in these families in the inner city that want more, but they have to do the work. And it's one thing to educate them; it's another for them to desire to impl- to apply what they've learned. And it all comes down to enough. Mm-hmm. I have had enough, and I've come to this place where I no longer want the life that I've had, and I'm willing to truly change. And that's a that's a hard thing, but yeah. you got to come to that that moment. That's in your, right in your journey to be able to turn the curve, turn the corner. What are what are some of the things that you told the uh, the guys who are being released from prison, the ones who are trying to get back on their feet, back into their their own neighborhoods, and make make something out of themselves? What were some of the things that you told them? Because I find that fascinating. Well, you know, it's simple asking questions first and foremost, and, you know, you have to be careful on the questions you ask because you don't want them to incriminate themselves in sure. setting. But it was like, why do you think you're here? Mm-hmm. And, you know, one example would be a guy says, well, you know, I always had, I had drug issues and, and had a good job, and it didn't work out, and I ended up on the street, and then I, then I stole something, and so they ended up in prison, incarceration, so now I'm getting out. And, you know, I've been in and out a couple of times and goes, I don't do drugs anymore. You know, I drink a little bit. I said, and I stop right there, buddy. You're right. <laughs> you said you don't do drugs anymore, but you're still drinking. Well, guess what? Alcohol is a drug. Yes, it is. So until you're ready to change your life and mm-hmm. say enough of the past, you're going to be right back here once you get out. And, and, and that's really the and then there's, you know, there's some great programs that DLF has for the incarcerated coming out, we have transition homes, mm-hmm. we have education programs, and we, and we we're on them uh, pretty pretty aggressively if they stay with our program. And our success rate is probably eighty percent of those incarcerated that come out and go through our program. If they go through the whole program, we have about an eighty percent win rate. The problem is, six or seven guys might get out. They get into our transition program, and only two of them stick it stick with it. Right. The three or four end up going back to, you know, they don't want to put in the work. Right. And, and like they you really said, they haven't, haven't come. They haven't, they haven't reached haven't their bottom. That point. They haven't That's reached right. their they bottom. Have they haven't reached the point where they say, I really do need to change some things. That's or right. else. And what, what do they right. say? The definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again and expecting yeah. a different result. Absolutely. We're talking with Stephen Bolos. He's the founder of Ring of Hope. When you, when you got together, with Will and he said, okay, let's, let's do these boxing rings and, and get some of the kids off the street. What were the things that kind of encouraged you and said, wow, this is actually working. Some of the kids are showing up at the gym. We're teaching some, some skill sets physically, but they're actually learning some things mentally. And like you said, they're preparing for their, for their lives and, and learning how to give back to the communities. What were some of the signs? Well, is there a story right there where you like, wow, this kid right here, he gets it. And we've actually changed his life a little bit. Well, I tell you the, the the interesting to go into the depth of this. When we first had the conversation, I started doing research on it, and there was one young man who was looking for a sponsorship who wanted to go pro. And at the time, he was probably seventeen years old. And so, Will and I went down to a gym that he was being trained at, and I won't mention the name. Mm-hmm. And 
when it went into this facility and it was the nastiest place you would ever step your foot in mm. and not to be too graphic, but let's just say as I'm in the bathroom using it, I'm literally leaning my head. So I'm not burning my head on the light bulb that's hanging right over the toilet. And, wow. And, and I'm, you know, in the toilet itself was, was black is, mm-hmm. is a bucket. It mm. was nasty. And I walked out of it and I looked around and, and I, and, and the guy who was running the facility, he's just an older dude and looking to make some ends meet. And everybody was just, you know, giving, slipping them like 20 and $30 to train there. And I realized that, and these kids were all hungry to get excited about something. Mm-hmm. And this was the only thing in that community that offered something that was in, in indoors that was physically uh, local for them that they could access that was somewhat affordable. And I say affordable, they were all, their families were scrounging, trying to pay 30 and $40 for these kids to be able to come and train there. Wow. And that's when I realized and said, man, there's a need for this. And if we could figure out a way to not have to have these kids pay that much, that's a lot, you know, this is, we're talking 12 years ago and 30, $40, you could join uh, LA fitness or 24 hour fitness at the time. I think they're gone now, but 24 hour fitness, Back then, you for nineteen dollars a month, you could go to this really nice yeah. facility and do all this training and work yeah. out. And I'm, I'm looking at all these kids that are in this disgusting place, paying thirty and forty dollars to train. I thought this isn't right, man. Yeah. Uh, why is it that people take advantage of the kids and the families in the inner city? Why are gas prices seem to be a, a two or three cents higher? Right. In the middle of the inner city, because there's no other gas station around. That's mm-hmm. just not right. But that, but this is America. Right. It's mm-hmm. supply and demand. And there's all those things that go on. And so you can't judge it. You just have to desire to change it. And that's and so what that's you decided to do. Yeah. You said, let me see if we can't do something here. And Ring of Hope, Ring of Hope has, has been there. Now, you've also had some really nice fundraisers that have been able to help some of these kids out and help out some of these gyms and the groups. Can you talk about the the uh, the fundraisers? In fact, how about the one in particular? Uh, you guys have had the night to fight. You've had these over the last couple of years now. And how yeah. you've been able to yeah. get like-minded individuals into a room together and, and, and raise some money uh, for some of these kids. Right. So night to fight is it's a great event. And raising money is not the easiest thing. In fact, it's probably the most in my career, the most difficult thing I've ever done is to raise money. Hmm. is to get folks to write a check for something that they're not going to really get anything for. Mm-hmm. You know, in the corporate secular world in my business, you know, I'm selling a product. I'm the best. I believe I'm the best or I'm as good as anybody else. Try us out, blah, blah, blah. And so you make those sales and you bring in those dollars. But when it comes to them to writing a check for a philanthropy, there's just, there's a lot of generosity out there, but there just doesn't seem to be enough. Or if there is enough, there it doesn't seem like there is. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how this all started. So we decided to do the big fundraiser. We tried other means of raising funds for people just supporting us. Right. But then Will and I said, you know, we're going to have to put it on an event. Exactly. Uh, when you say so event, all of a sudden a, they will they will put on a suit and tie and a gown and right. they'll show up with the money. Right. That's right. That's right. And our first year of putting that together, it was Will, myself, and a, a guy named Jerry Tomlinson, who actually was the main sponsor for the event Supreme Lending uh, last month at mm-hmm. the Comerica Center. Him and I and Will rolled, literally rolled up our sleeves, and be- the three of us, and we had 
of 12 other committee volunteers within our my business organization that committed their time. And we put on our first event at the Frontiers of Flight Museum down on Lemon Avenue in Mockingbird. Yeah. At the, by the airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it was pretty it, it, if it could have gone wrong, it went wrong. Oh no. But from a spectator oh, no. standpoint, it looked great. Right. <laughs> it, you know what I always say? I always say uh I don't think the people can handle how the sausage is made as long as the sausage tastes good. <laughs> That's exactly right. So you went from uh, there so. and you were able to raise some money and, and, and keep this thing going, huh? Yes, we have. And now we just recently, two years ago, uh, well, COVID, you know, sure. we had a bigger vision. We had a vision of growing Ring of Hope and the concept on a national platform. We really had all the things teeing up for that. And we had our biggest event, which was at the Toyota Music Factory Festival Center. Uh, Las Colinas, yeah. That was in 2020 in March. It was the, we had a thousand attendees on the floor. It was live. It was pay-per-view. We had all kinds of notoriety there. We had people in the seat, in the stadium seats. It was a packed house. It looked like an HBO special. It was the saddest thing we've ever done. It was amazing. The and then the pandemic day, hit. They shut the friggin' country down. The yes. next day. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and so everybody has to make a pivot. And so that's what you guys had to do. Right. Yeah. And then we decided, you know, let's just focus on Dallas. Mm-hmm. Let's not get ahead of our skis. Sure. Let's back down a little bit. And so we're, now we're re- evolving and we decided to, instead of growing boxing c- facilities across the country, Will and I said, well, listen, why don't we turn these into more about education and leadership and, and development in all aspects of a family and offer boxing? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a great idea. And that's kind of the journey we're on right now. We've been working towards that since the pandemic shut us down. And that this was our first event that we kicked off uh, last month. That was fantastic. And by the way, I like the fact that you guys tied in the, uh, the event with the new Texas Boxing Hall of Fame, uh, Lester Bedford being a big part of that. He's a longtime boxing advocate and promoter uh, nationally and here in the state of Texas. That was an insane night. I really, impre- I, I was really impressed with that entire event. And again, that's yeah. just part of what the Ring of Hope does, right? That's right. And we're hoping to stay connected with them. We're hoping for this to be a collaborative effort going forward on our next events. We're going to start doing one. We, we, we want to move it up a little bit to where it'll be a March-April event versus this October-November event because of the weather. Mm-hmm. And, and we love the center, and we're going to have to, in order for us to make that facility work, we have to have a different time of year because the floor was freezing. We were all sitting on ice. That's right. It was a I hockey not, rink underneath there. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And literally ice under us the night of our event. We had a, a few folks had to leave early because they just did not come dressed for the occasion. <laughs> <laughs> you had the short sleeves on. It was like, wait a minute. Or their shoes were thin. It was like, wait a minute. My toes are cold. But no, it was, it was an outstanding occasion. And again, I love what you guys are doing. Uh, to get back to the Ring of Hope, you guys are such a, a, a great organization. And I want to go back into to you a little bit. When you've, We mentioned about how you got together with Will and came up with the Ring of Hope. But tell us about your story, because you kind of got a rag to riches story of your own self. Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, it's not a story that I typically, I, I'm a one-on-one kind of guy in publicizing my story or my past, but I'll share some of it that I think that might be of value. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm from Detroit. 
mm-hmm. and I was raised in the I wasn't raised in poverty, but we were raised in, you know, lower class America in the city of Detroit, just outside of downtown. And my life of growing up was was not so good uh, between all the different things I'd gone through, uh, parental issues. And, you know, my father was just not a very good person mm-hmm. and a really bad, bad man, so to speak. So I had developed a lot of bad characteristics and personality traits, and I got married at a very young age. I got my girlfriend pregnant when I was 19 years old, or actually I was 18 at the time. And I ended up uh, having, without with, without going into a lot of detail, I found my way going to Tallahassee, Florida, for just a long weekend, and ended up staying there for an extended period of time. I come from a boxing a boxing background. My father was a professional fighter in the late 30s. Mm-hmm. And so boxing has been part of my life ever since I was like 11 years old. And so I got to Tallahassee, and I was really enjoying life and been married and divorced and had was raising my nine-month-old baby. My ex-wife had left for a period of time and for about almost a year, left Detroit, and finally and then came back to Detroit and then took custody of him. And then I went to sow my oats, if you will. And I went to Tallahassee and got in a little bit of trouble and found myself behind bars for a very short period of time because I couldn't get bail because mm-hmm. I was from Detroit. Long story short, I get out weeks later, and I knew one person in Texas. He lived in Plano, Texas. So I scrounged enough money for a bus ticket and threw all my clothes in a bag and jumped on a Greyhound. And 36 hours later, I was sitting in the Elm Street uh, bus station for my buddy to come pick me up. And so that's kind of how I arrived in Dallas. Uh, and so then I, you know, I, I was trying to find my way in life and I was getting into sales and selling water purifiers mm-hmm. at one point. I won't go through all the other jobs that I had. And mm-hmm. this particular one was unique because as I was delivering the message to this couple, when I was done with my great presentation, they said, we'll buy this from you. If you let us tell you about Jesus. And I thought, well, this dude, if you're if you're buying, I'm listening. So I just sat there and listened to them. They gave me this whole spiel and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I said, yeah, yeah, whatever, sign here, type of thing. And uh, that was it. And then I basically, that was a devastating week for me because all the sales I had managed to gather all canceled on me. I couldn't pay my rent, didn't have any food in the house. Uh, but now, going back, tracking a little bit, my ex-wife and my son had moved from Detroit to live with me in 1981 uh, here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And this couple reached out to me on that Saturday to check on me. And next thing I know, I'm meeting them for church on Sunday because things aren't going well with me. And that Sunday, I had a transformation change in my life. It's just that simple. Uh, wow. God came into my life. Uh, it was an amazing experience running down the aisle of the church with my hands up, crying like a baby, and I, I'm not a crier. Uh, and then my life started to go a different direction for a period of time. And then I backslid back into my old ways of behavior. And it wasn't until the 90s that I finally realized that not only did I accept Jesus as my Savior, but that's when I realized what it meant for Him to be my Lord. Mm-hmm. And so in 1995 and 1996 is when I really stopped my lifestyle of who I was and became the lifestyle life of who Jesus wanted me to be. And I've been on that journey ever since. And so since the mid-90s, I've been really focused on uh, 
my success. If I'm successful, I'm, there's a purpose for that. And so I've, I've got a truly a purpose-driven life ever since. And that, that is and fantastic. I hope yeah. that wasn't too long for you, but that's, no. that's the short version. No, that was that was outstanding because, again, sometimes people have to hit the, all the way to the bottom. Like you said, you have to hit the bottom, and then you find a purpose. You find some spirituality. Yep. You find uh, some structure, and all of a sudden things start happening. And that's why right. I'm, I'm glad that you and Will – uh, got together and decided to come up with Ring of Hope because, like you said, if you don't have hope, what are you living for? Right. And Will and, my, Will and I met in 2000. So him and I have been friends for uh, 22 years. That is fantastic. Is yeah, there something? Relationship. Is there something upcoming with Ring of Hope that you want to share with all our listeners or how they could possibly get involved if they want to either partner with you guys or, or volunteer or... Um, you know, actually go to the gyms. Well, there that we only we have two clubs here in Dallas. We have the one in South Second. We also have one in South Oak Cliff, which mm-hmm. is a really nice facility in a really really rough corner. But all the all the store owners and the retailers around there have really embraced us, and so we have not had any problems and no issues, and they've really brought us in, you know into the family, if you will, in mm-hmm. the neighborhood. That's the one over on Sunnyvale, right? Sunnyvale, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been to that one? Not yet, but I'm going to swing oh. on by there. Okay, so you'll see what I'm talking about mm-hmm. <laughs> when you pull up to the intersection. It's pretty crazy down there. But it's uh, but that's I would say that if you want if some if there's a listener who has an interest in be, getting involved in boxing to reach out to uh, ringaholtboxing.com or I think it's uh, Dallas it's dlftx.org is the Dallas Leadership Foundation mm-hmm. uh, website. And that's the place to go if they really, truly want to commit to getting connected to the inner city or bringing their kids to a gym and training and, and letting those kids, allowing those kids to get equipped with skills and physical fitness and learning about diet but also if they have a desire for spiritual education or if they have a desire for just uh, mental education of just, you know, doing better at school and having, having a mentorship to help guide them to get them through high school, to get them graduated so they have an opportunity like the rest of us. Stephen Bolos, again, thank you for joining us. He's the founder of Ring of Hope, a nonprofit working to educate, empower, and engage kids through boxing and community service. Again, Leadership, fitness, nutrition, peer mentoring, and sacrifice. Those are some of the core values guiding the program. Stephen, again, thanks for joining us. Well, Chris, thank you so much for the invitation, man. I hope that our conversation speaks to at least one person out there in the audience, and we can make a difference. I think you're right. Hey, I'm Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. Thank all of you for joining us. Tune in next week as we focus on other organizations doing great things in our community right here in North Texas on Better Living. So long, everybody. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t oh, 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 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh. 